Zen jazz and the creative art of everyday living. Revisited. Continued. So, <coughs> we'll at some point have uh, at least one more tune to play. Uh, actually, best wishes, Sonny Rollins. It's the wrong, uh, but that's okay. <laughs> I mean, that was true. This is the list I worked from in Milwaukee, too. So I saw that. That's the studio recording. Um, the one that I used at Shady Book is the live recording, which has a little more creativity, <laughs> to put it mildly. So the studio version of Best Wishes isn't worth uh, visiting, but uh, the last tune on the playlist here, Zen-like, is definitely, so we will get to that at some point here. All right, I'll just I'll make sure. Uh, but before I go any further, since I've hogged all the time this morning, an extended period of time with that, so you were all very patient with me there. Uh, so before I, I go any further with this, I just wanted to open it up and get your thoughts, questions. <coughs> John. One of the things that struck me this morning was when you um, played the first standard and then played the jazz rendition of it, all those notes that came yeah. virtually out of nowhere <laughs> um, made me really think about this idea of having a structure, but then as with Zazen or mindfulness, losing the self. Mm -hmm. And that's what's in there. And to see and experience it that way, because you can also experience it as the self creating all that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> and they're very different ways of seeing. And it's the richness of seeing it as like music playing me or playing itself, as opposed to me generating all of this. When we look more deeply into the true nature of me, of self, and we can see that that's just an inflated, fabricated notion that we continue to carry forward with ourselves. And when we can stop doing that and just be in the moment as that moment and everything that that brings together, in 
suchness as we term that. Suchness is when the self drops out of the mix. And that's what's what. There's everything coming together. That which thus comes is what these jazz musicians were talking about and, and putting out on exhibit for us. That which thus comes. Okay. And, and that would, oh, I'm sorry. No, that's okay. Go ahead. No. Uh, I, I was just going to say, I, I'm aware the most, some of the best things artistically that I've created over the years are almost all intuitive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And my past thought about intuitive was just what you were saying last week. But yeah. seeing that that's not the case. Yeah. That more often they just kind of flow because I'm not thinking. I'm just in that moment. Right. Right. And then we really are just the vessels getting out of the way and letting us. Of what's yeah. 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 Okay. Um, I was just reflecting on uh, noticing a kind of duality with um, like the godlike genius composer and the improviser but like the the moment that the composer is coming up with an idea he is improvising and the moment that the improviser is coming up with an idea he's composing and there's not really a difference between the two things it's just sort of um yeah. And I was just thinking and like thinking about sort of like like it's the same thing. It's just like even if it feels very planned out, it's a spontaneous moment that an idea is occurring for like thought or Beethoven. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know. It's just uh, the distinctions between the two are, are sort of artificial. Um, and I, I and I don't know how that relates to Zen, which is sort of like the, that in fact it is spontaneous even when we don't think it's spontaneous. Right. Right, right. And I, I jotted down, this I jotted down in Milwaukee, but the morning of the talk, I uh, <clears throat> went through my email before the Sunday morning there, sitting there started, and I I get this word of the day, and the word that day, lo and behold, was a flatus. And I had no, most of the time, they had words that you would never use. <laughs> but the, the definition of this, you talk, I mentioned briefly synchronicities this morning. Talk about synchronicities that Sunday morning before I'm about to give this talk. The definition of a flatus is a divine creative impulse or inspiration. The, and then uh, <clears throat> there's a usage of it. The artist claimed her afflatus for this series came from the nature surrounding her childhood home. Uh, and then the derivation of it, it says, comes from the Latin word 
for to breathe on and to blow. Which points to what you're just saying, this notion of, you know, even if it's a composed piece, it's not improvisation. There's this sense of inspiration that comes to one, one's muse. And what's that all about? So it doesn't have to fall into this category of improvisation. It's just that improvisation, I guess what's so interesting about that and makes it such a great example of this is that it's happening right now. That's part of its piece. You don't take a break and go off and think about it for another day or two and see how it all shakes out. You go, you're right there doing it. So kind of like performance art. But you're, you're exactly right. Those kinds of cre creative inspirations, uh, they can take concrete form. And, and there's a difference in jazz, more so for some artists than others, but between like this creation of, of a, of a fixed work, a recording in the studio. And Sonny Rollins, this is where I wish we had the live version of Best Wishes to juxtapose with the studio. But I, I read uh, a very extensive biography of Sonny Rollins a few months ago. And the story about how he would conduct himself in the recording studio. He was an absolute perfectionist. Mm -hmm. right? It was never good enough. They do take after take after take. And, and I, I remember telling him in Milwaukee, I think it might have been his last studio recording was titled, was given the name Sonny Please. And I had no idea what that was referring to because I got it when it came out and stuff. But it was actually, uh, and his, his wife Lucille had died shortly before the release of the CD, and she was kind of like his manager. So they'd be in the studio, and he'd be going on and on about the recording, that's no good, no good. And she, her pat response would always be, Sonny, please. <laughs> <laughs> Unlike, you know, someone like a Miles Davis who'd get a group like this classic quintet of the 60s, and have it together for a good number of years. You know, Herbie Hancock and Tony Williams, Ron Carter and Wayne Shorter. And they'd be pretty, you'd have that continuity. Sonny Rollins, you know, he's firing people every album. You know, nobody, nobody even get through a tour with him. No, it's not getting, not working out. <laughs> but yeah, live, when he just, uh, completely pours himself into the music. It's it's transcendent. I mean, having had the, the great privilege of, of being at three of his concerts, and they were all, he'd hit, I'd call it hitting the zone. And it was like everybody being sucked into that, that whirlpool. And the place just couldn't believe what they were experiencing. So, 
Well, I'll make sure uh, like Monday's email I'll send, include a link to best wishes from his road shows reports. Fortunately, there was a guy that was uh, initially unbeknownst to Sonny recording all this stuff. And it was really high quality recordings. And uh, he kind of decloaked after what they called the 9-11 concert. Uh, three days after 9-11 on the 14th, Sonny had a gig he did in Boston, I think it was at the Berkeley School of Music. It had been obviously prearranged for a long time. The question was naturally, well, we're born with this, he was inclined not to, but um, ultimately you know, they decided, no, that's exactly what we need to do, which kept the thing on. This guy recorded, thank goodness, because it was really powerful, really powerful. So, if I, if I, it's kind of a toss up for me between best wishes or global warming from that 9 11 concert is also where he hits the zone. That's <laughs> just, yeah. But normally it's like in global warming where he's sharing solo time with other people. The best wishes opened up this roadshow uh, recording taken from various concerts. And it's like from the very get-go. I remember the first time I played it. And I was in my car driving down to Mansfield to be with Mike in the group that night. And he just cuts loose right after a very brief intro. It's Sonny Rollins for the next 10 minutes. We're gripping the steering wheel. Oh, my God. <laughs> he just... He, he literally was kind of like I've described him as uh, the uh, the Mozart of our time. He could create in the moment, on the spot, like in, in Amadeus, where Salieri's uh, composition, uh, Mozart <laughs> dabbles around with it and says, there's really not much there, and then starts doing this, that, and the other thing with it. He goes, but actually it has some potential <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of like Sonny Rollins with his own tune. He'll, he'll play the melody and say, yeah, I think there's some, something to pull from here. And he'd just go on and on and on and on. It's just one improvisation rolling after the next, rolling after the next. And it, it never feels repetitive or anything. It's always just a, a natural uh, exploration going on before your very ears. But the studio <coughs> version of it, yeah, no use for it. <laughs> the, um, uh, when I was at a, it wasn't jazz, but last month I was at the Yola Tango concert in Detroit. And I, something I've never experienced in a concert experience, they start with their songs as a bass, but on the road, they do a lot of improv kind of jamming around it. And at one point during that, um, the, the lead guitarist, Ira, 
went up to the edge of the stage and took his uh, lead electric guitar and handed it out into the audience. And then that the audience took it. And I guess there was some confusion and he was like, you know, basically miming play. And uh, it was just wild. And for me, it kind of thought of, it made me think about, you know, the form of here we are at this concert, you know, uh, consuming for lack of a better word, but I think he was pointing to that we are part of the piece and that composition or, you know, spur of the moment, what the hell kind of thing. But then based on your talk this morning, I it kind of made me think of a metaphor of that of like, well, here's all these Zen practice forms, but until like, you know, you take hold of it and, you know, bring it into your the crowd or put your hands on it it's going to be out there and not uh, a part of you. So it's, it's just kind of a tool. So that's kind of what I was thinking. Yeah, no, I, I like that. Yeah, that there's this sense of separation. And then once, <clears throat> once we actually do let go of self and we just merge with it, and that, that happens for, for an audience as well as for the musicians on stage for, for the uh, the experience to really reach that higher level, that's kind of required. They have the whole auditorium has to really kind of get into that space. And you know when it's happening, <laughs> that's the thing. You can't really uh, define it, but you can experience it. You know what's happening. I'm going to queue up on YouTube if you want. Oh, okay. Well, now I guess we have to. We have a pretty big build up, yeah. Since we're going to have time. All right. We're going to create. Exactly. I started playing pop, sharing the screen. We're going to see if it was safe to share it with everybody else.
One Sonny Ross. Joe just came in. Actually, the first time I saw Sonny Rollins was in Joe's backyard. <laughs> yeah, the amphitheater came first. I'm guessing probably the greatest musician that ever performed. <laughs> I've seen some pretty, pretty good musicians performing there. And they there was some. And actually the trombonist in his band was his nephew. We fired him too. <laughs> but we hired him, you know. <laughs> it was just impossible. My steady job. <laughs> <laughs> but even in between sets, if he played a club, you know, he'd be going out into the parking lot playing. He couldn't put the horn down. He had to keep improving. He had more ideas to express and explore. Yeah, that's an example of practicing like your hair is on fire. That's Sonny Rollins. <laughs> I got a comment that yeah. came up from me earlier. Um, we talked about um, so they practice, 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 or study, study, study. Yeah. And what's the, there's a, an old rule of thumb that means 16,000 hours of practice to become an expert or anything. Professional or anything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think about what you're talking about jazz, you know, you play and play and play until you just lose yourself and the playing right. continues and you drop off. Yeah. And then I thought the same with uh, athletes and our other artists and things like that. They lose themselves in something that they were practicing repetitive before they become an expert at it and they almost drop off and the activity does itself. Right. So then I thought, how does that, what's the analogy to Zazen? What are we practicing? Is, are we practicing Zazen to, to, in that same fashion to get closer to the present moment and the actual nature of reality? So that when we do drop off, yeah. that it's not completely foreign to us and that help us get to that point. Is that correct analogy? Like I kind of made that analogy or connection in my head and I'm not sure if it's correct. Yeah, because as you were describing it, uh, it kind of harkens back to the comments I was making this morning, I think, about being original. That if we're trying to do it, uh, we're, we're not going to. We're moving in the wrong direction. So the whole point of, if there is a point of Zazen, <laughs> it's, it's to let go of point. To see any point that comes up that you're trying to get to, 
It's just your mind generating these thoughts. They're thoughts coming. So set it aside. And it only when that happens does the gateway open before you and you can enter that space. Uh, so that's why Wu Wei, this effortless effort, uh, that you can only feel that way when you've kind of give there's stories about practitioners that just hit the wall and they give up. And that's when they, they have their great breakthrough is at that moment. You know, there's Banka, Banke is uh, a, a great example of that, who's on the verge of death and finally just, you know, all right, I surrender and then bam. <laughs> he gets it. He gets it. But as long as he was trying so hard, he couldn't get there. He couldn't get there. And sometimes we do just have to completely <clears throat> exhaust ourselves in, in the endeavor. And that's when the breakthrough, the space for it opens up. But as long as we're trying, I, I need to keep working so I can get that, I can get that. So we, we do need to try hard, but there needs to be that ultimate letting go without, and the letting go doesn't entail no more effort. It's just that we're no longer uh, putting forth the effort to attain something. That's why Shah, some, a teacher like Shahak is always emphasizing it's good for nothing. There's nothing you're going to attain from it. It's, it's, it sounds crazy. Well, and it's not such a great way to <coughs> recruit people to practice, but that's what we're trying to do. <laughs> so from a marketing standpoint, you know, like Bodhidharma and the Emperor. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. No more. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's the story about the student who asked the teacher, how long will it take me to get it, become enlightened? And they said, oh, 20 years. Well, what if I study really, really hard? The student asked, oh, 30 years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a good one. <laughs> yeah. That's dedication when 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 you're doing it for for not to attain anything. And then it's the practice is just practicing itself, zazen doing zazen. When we truly drop out of that mix, you know, Sonny Rollins could have played that too if he was trying to do something. He's just letting letting those forces go, feeling that inspiration, <clears throat> breathing on him, through him. I have an impression with jazz that might apply to this too, that 
it's not that the musicians are practicing their scales and, and learning, uh, you know, everything so that they can eventually be spontaneous. Like they're also practicing being spontaneous as they're gaining these skills. So they're like, even within, if they were limited, if they know two notes, they're also being practicing being in the moment with those notes yeah. and then building on that. Yeah. Yeah. And I've told, <clears throat> sticking with Sonny Rollins for a bit more, I've told the story here about the bridge where his year plus where he stopped performing, stopped recording. He would just go out on the George Washington Bridge in New York City and he played and played and played. It was like his hermitage, even in the middle of New, New York, he's going out. So he's busking there, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Except, yeah, there's no hat out there. So he's going out there like in the middle of the night. Because <laughs> he wasn't content with where he was at in his practice. So he it was like, like Bodhi Dharma in, in the wall. <laughs> he didn't do it for nine years, but it was more than a year. That's the intensity of it. And then the first recording he made after it came, came back was titled The Bridge. Because <laughs> <laughs> by this point, it was legendary. Everybody knew <laughs> Take it a year off to go play on the bridge. Hold his crap. And he had already become, I mean, it was basically him and John Coltrane on tenor sax. They were, they were the saxophone titans. So he didn't have anything to prove in that sense. There's the old line about him once, uh, there were only uh, two people he was ever competing with, and one of them was himself. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Sure. So any more discussion first, and then uh, <clears throat> we've got one more musical selection before we close up the jazz club for the moon. Well, this, the last selection we're going to do is uh, from a group I, I mentioned this morning, Trio Tapestry, John Calabana, Stalin, Herman Casoli, <clears throat> kind of uh, exemplifies this, this spirituality that runs through jazz. And in my involvement with it, thanks to Carmen putting, putting on some, some jazz gigs in town, uh, and just reading uh, accounts of other musicians, uh, it's striking how 
how they perceive what they're doing as a spiritual practice. And uh, in some instances, they, they do uh, practice something like Buddhism, if not Buddhism specifically, but uh, it's, it's definitely not uncommon to find these musicians engaged in some sort of spiritual practice. Uh, and <clears throat> I think in the case of, of Joe Lovano and Carmen, uh, they played at the Cleveland Buddhist Temple on three different occasions. And those performances definitely uh, are reflected in this group trio tapestry. You will hear that in, in the piece that, that we're going to play to close things out, which is titled Zen-like. So, uh, and Marilyn Christel lives in Woodstock, which is just down the road from Zen Mountain Monastery. She's been to Zen Mountain Monastery. She's uh, practiced with a Tibetan group over there. Um, she, I'm not the only person she knows who practices Zen. In fact, when uh, <clears throat> Cynthia and I saw this trio at the Big Ears Festival in Knoxville, and afterwards I had a chance to chat with Marilyn, one of the women that came up to the stage to see her too was a Zen practitioner. Marilyn's telling her, oh, Dean. <laughs> this is Zen guy in Cleveland. <laughs> so this is their their circle. They this is the kind of space they occupy, and the gongs and the things that open up Zen like. I mean, this reminds me about the type of performances they would do at the Cleveland Temple. They have their bonds out there. And Joe would be playing it. His wife Judy would be up there. She'd have percussion. You know, even though she's primarily there as a vocalist. But uh, they all definitely uh, thrived on that that atmosphere being there at the Cleveland Temple. So with that, uh, by way of introduction, here's Zen Light from a recording that's got a four and a half star review and down. Four stars is excellent, five stars is masterpiece. So the reviewer put it somewhere between excellent and a masterpiece. So you be the judge. <laughs>
get a pretty good feel for, for that. And I think it's next month they have a week-long engagement at the Village Vanguard in New York. Last call, I should say. <laughs> <laughs> Last call. I, I just shared that um, in Mansfield, we did this kind of experiment where we just said to the Sangha of, okay, bring in two, some song that you think somehow exemplifies or is related to the Dharma. And oh man, the spectrum of what it came in. And we all just, uh, everybody got a chance to go around and like introduce their song. And then we just all sat after sitting and listened to like two minutes of them. And that was, I just, this whole day is kind of reminding me of that experience. So quite a journey. Thank, thank you for sharing. Uh, that piece that you just played by Joe Lovano really uh, was reminiscent of something that I have here. Last time, uh, a couple years ago, when I was in Arizona, I went up into the middle of the state between Phoenix and Flagstaff. There's a place called Arco Sante, and it's an artist colony out off the highway into the Red Rock Canyons and all the people that live there, it's almost like a commune. And they all have one thing in common. They make bells, wind chimes from tiny ones to ones the size of a Buick. And they make them from scratch. They cast their own bronze, but they also made their own album, a, a, D, a CD. Mm -hmm. Sounds very much like what you just played. And I'd highly recommend it if you'd like to listen to something on a long drive. That would be great. <laughs> nice. And it's, uh, of course, mostly it's some kind of backup and a lot of their own uh, handcrafted uh, wind chimes of different sizes and everything that uh, make up the music of the entire album. Yeah, there's a local per jazz percussionist drummer here <clears throat> that uses gongs and uh, and Tibetan singing bowls uh, in his performances. In fact, he occasionally does a solo performance where that's all he does. He's not playing with somebody else. And I think we I had him in the temple twice. And I'd arranged a couple of other gigs. In fact, one of them, I as I recall, was going down to Belleville to do a Sunday program at the, at the UU Church there. Uh, 
Paul Stranahan. Uh, he's, in fact, I'll probably play hooky one uh, Thursday and in, in, uh, or no, it's on a Wednesday. That's right. I won't have to play hooky. <laughs> 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 yeah, John Sweat. <laughs> uh <laughs> name of his group is night terrors and terrors. and it's him with that wide uh array of, of percussion instruments in addition to his drum kit and playing with an electric guitarist uh who does some some kind of spacey stuff and then some more uh hardcore stuff uh, so and I've never seen them. Normally, he does play on Thursdays, and I've been a good Zen boy, and I showed up here instead of going to see them. <laughs> but this time, so I will, uh, I will let people know uh, uh, at least a couple of weeks in advance. So if anybody else is interested, they have about a twenty-minute snippet from a previous performance at the box stop that you could listen to to see if it anything that would be of interest. <clears throat> All right, well, I guess we'll go ahead and change out there. May our intention equally penetrate every being and place with the true merit of buddha's way beings are numberless i'm allowed to save them delusions are inexhaustible i'm allowed to end them dharma gates are boundless i'm allowed to enter them buddha's way is unsurpassable i'm allowed to become it big problem with this is when we come back together again on Thursday, it'll really be excruciatingly dull, just a plain old Dharma talk. 